of all the, uh, the, the, every organization has to make this decision about who gets in and, and who is kept out. It's one of the things that uh, an organization has the, the privilege of making that, that decision. So I'll give you some examples. I might want to go to uh, the Exelon nuclear power plant and take a self-guided tour. But there's some people there, Bob Outson and others, that are going to stop me from doing that. Uh, I would really like to go to the home opener of the Chicago Bulls here in October. They're playing the Cleveland Cavaliers. I'd like Sam and I to go and to sit behind the bench and chat with IO throughout the game. That would be awesome. But the, the Bulls organization has come up with this ridiculous policy that you've got to give them money to do that. And if you want to sit right behind the bench, you've got to give them a lot of money. I looked it up, $3,500. I like I.O., but $3,500. Today, uh, after church, I might decide to come over to your house for lunch. I won't go to the Wissings, but maybe, maybe another house. And when I show up and I get there, I'm going to see a door, and the door is going to be closed, and, and I'll either knock or I'll ring the doorbell, and then when you look outside and you see it's your pastor, you've got a, a few decisions you can make. Honey, turn off the lights and hide. That's an option. Uh, or you could come to the door and open it and be polite and, and not invite me in. Or you could open it up and, and, and say, come on in, let's have lunch. You get to decide who gets in and, and who's kept out. When it comes to entering into the kingdom of God, which is really just saying entering into the presence of God, entering into the family of God. The question of who gets in and who's kept out is a really important question because the scripture makes it clear that some people get in and some people don't get in. So if you want to be among the people who get in, then this question is of utmost importance. Who gets in? Who's kept out? To whom is the door opened? To whom does the door remain closed? Or another way to say it is this. What's the price of admission? What's the price of admission to enter into the family of God, the kingdom of God? We're continuing our series through the Gospel of Mark. And uh, as we do today, we're going to come to a passage where Jesus actually answers that question. What's the price of admission? Who gets in? Who's kept out? Join me as we pray for the reading of God's word. Father God, may your word be our rule. May your spirit be our guide. And may your glory be our greatest concern. I ask that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our heart would be pleasing and acceptable to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're at Mark chapter 10, and we're continuing today at verse 13. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, 
For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, placed his hands on them, and blessed them. Who gets into the kingdom of God? To whom is the door opened? Anyone, Jesus said, who receives the kingdom of God like a child. That person gets in. Who's kept out? To whom does the door stay closed? Anyone who does not receive the kingdom of God like a child. So the question, the pressing question is, what does it mean to receive the kingdom of God like a child? One of the roles I've noticed as we've been reading through the the Gospel of Mark, one of the self-appointed roles that the disciples took on was to act as if they were Jesus' bouncers. Like positioning themselves at the door, determining who gets access to Jesus and who doesn't. Who's allowed in and who's kept out. I don't think we ever see Jesus giving them that, that directive, like I want you to be my bouncer, but they take this upon themselves. So who do they let in? One of the groups of people that we have seen get access over and over again is the Pharisees. The Pharisees could show up any time they wanted. At the most inopportune time, they didn't need an invitation. Without any appointment, they show up and they interrupt whatever it is that Jesus is doing with one of their disingenuous questions meant to trap Jesus. We just read about this last week. Jesus had stopped. He had a crowd around him that he was teaching. And here come the Pharisees, and they're allowed access, and they interrupt him with this disingenuous question, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? You know who never stops the Pharisees? Who never says, wait a second, the master's busy? He's telling a story. He's just about to get to the punchline. Maybe now is not a good time to interrupt him. The disciples never stopped the Pharisees. Which makes me think that in the mind of the disciples, apparently the Pharisees have the right credentials to get access. There's something about the Pharisees that the disciples say, yes, you're allowed in. Anytime you want, you don't need to knock just barge right in. That was the story that we just read in Mark 10. The Pharisees barge right in. Do you know the story right after this, one that we're reading right now, is about another person that is allowed access. My NIV Bible describes him as a rich, young ruler. He just runs up to Jesus. Who who was to say that he had no evil intent? But he runs up to to Jesus, and the disciples don't stop him. So what is it about the Pharisees? What is it about this rich young ruler that in the mind of the disciples, these are people that, that get in? What's the criteria the disciples are using? Well, let's consider the Pharisees. The Pharisees are deeply religious. They were deeply religious men. They had significant social standing in the community. 
These were people who would walk into a room and immediately everyone would give them deferential treatment. They were respected. They were honored, held in, in high esteem. And you could say that none of this was just given to them. They earned it. They had been studying for their entire life, years of outperforming other students that allowed them to progress up the ranks of Judaism. They had proven themselves. And now they had titles, they had robes, they had rings. They had a right to have immediate hearing with Jesus whenever they wanted. It was all the just rewards for their work. So apparently in the minds of the disciples, if you are religious enough, if you have enough social clout, enough social standing, if you're held in high regard, you're well-educated, then this is sufficient to cover the cost of admission. Come on in. You think of all the times that the Pharisees showed up uninvited, and I don't think once did the disciples ever say, hold on, not today. And then what about this rich young ruler, this man who ran towards Jesus and fell at his feet? Well, he had the trifecta going He's rich, he's young, and apparently he has some power, some authority. Of course he's worthy of Jesus' time and attention. Come on in, step right up. Now there were others for whom these bouncing disciples were not so passive and not so welcoming. In order to get to Jesus, they first had to get through the disciples we're going to read about this in a, a few weeks to, to blind Bartimaeus, sitting by the side of the road, shouting to Jesus, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. The disciples make their way over to him and they say, be quiet. To the stranger that we just read about a couple weeks ago, who's casting out demons in Jesus' name, but the disciples don't know him. The disciples said, stop, stop this. To the Canaanite woman, to the foreigner who had a daughter who was demon-possessed, who was crying after Jesus, the disciples came to Jesus and said, send her away because she keeps crying out after us. She's being obnoxious. To the crowds who were hungry, the disciples came to Jesus and said, tell them to leave so they can go get something to eat somewhere else. And now to these parents, who are showing up with their babies, showing up with their little children to be blessed by Jesus, the disciples rebuke them, rebuke the parents. There's something about this group of people in the minds of the disciples makes them unworthy of having access to Jesus. These were the people that should be kept out. Let's keep the door closed. The beggars the strangers, the foreigners, the poor, the hungry, and the babies and the children. Unlike the Pharisees, unlike the rich young ruler, these people had no social standing. They had no clout. These were not the kind of people who were shown any deferential treatment. They had nothing to give, nothing to offer. They lacked credentials. They're not as religious as the Pharisees. 
not as rich as the young man. These are people without any means of paying any price of admission. They're empty-handed. It's easy for us today to find fault in the disciples because we have been raised in this Jesus loves the little children world, but that wasn't the world of the first century. Children were not held on the same pedestal that they are today. They are to be seen and, and not heard and, and preferably not even seen, had no social status, had no value. To put it in economic terms, children were a liability, not an asset. The most grotesque example of how little children were, were valued was the practice of infant exposure. In the first few centuries of the Roman Empire, infant exposure was common. If a child was born and was unwanted, it was legal for the parents to discard that child in the trash heap. Just discard the, the child in the garbage pile. And there they would either die or be taken by an evil person with evil intent who would raise that child in a life of slavery, a life of prostitution, and, and who knows what else. This was the world in which the disciples lived. Even their own Jewish faith taught them that when it comes to people, there's a hierarchy. There's a hierarchy of who's allowed to have access to God, who's allowed to, to get close to God, and they saw that hierarchy so clearly at the temple. The temple was designed by courts. At the, the outermost court of the temple, outside the temple, was called the court of the Gentiles. If you were not a Jew, this is where you were allowed to go. But there were signs posted in the court of the Gentiles in Latin and in Greek to make sure that everybody knew you may go no farther, punishable by death. So the Gentiles are on the outside looking in, and then you enter, and the first inner court that you come to is the court of the women. A step ahead of the Gentiles, these Jewish women, but still far from the, the, the inner sanctum, the, the presence of God. There the Jewish women were allowed to go, but no further. And then you go a step further, the next inner court was the court of the Israelites, or the court of men. And so here's where the Jewish men were allowed to congregate. And then you go to a step further, and it's the court of priests. Only the Levitical priests were allowed into the sanctuary where the altar was. And then, of course, at the heart of the, the temple was the, the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And there, only the high priest was allowed to enter, and only once a year. And so this is the faith that the, these disciples have cut their teeth on. They're aware that there's this hierarchy. When it comes to entering into the presence of God, there are, there are people who have greater access than others. So when they were bouncing these people, keeping them away from Jesus, they thought they were doing a good thing. They thought they were doing the right thing. But Jesus was about to challenge all of their assumptions about who gets in and who's kept out. When Jesus saw the disciples rebuking the parents who were attempting to bring their babies and their children to be blessed by Jesus, Jesus became indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and don't hinder them 
For the kingdom of God actually belongs to such as these, such as these. I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God, like a little child, will never enter it. This was crazy talk. Absolute crazy talk. In order to enter the kingdom of God, I must become like a little child. I must become a, a liability. A little child has nothing to offer. Exactly. A little child is not able to, to, uh, to earn their keep. That's right. A little child is 100% dependent for everything. I think you're starting to get it. The only thing a little child can do is receive. Yes. This is the price of admission. You must come empty-handed. You must come not trusting in, in what you have earned or your reputation or your credentials, what you've done, what you've given. The only way into the kingdom of God is when you come like a child who can't pay the bill, but you come trusting that your father's got it covered. Naturally, dad's going to take care of this because that's what dad does. The story after this about the rich young ruler, you know what Jesus would say to his disciples about him? He was going to tell that man, you must give everything away to enter into the kingdom of God, and the man went away sad. And then in reflecting on that with his disciples, Jesus said, you know how hard it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And I was thinking about why is that? Is it because they're rich that they can't enter the kingdom of God? Absolutely not. It's because they struggle to come empty-handed. They struggle to, to come on the 100% on the receiving end. They've learned, they've been conditioned to trust in their wealth. They've been conditioned that, that their wealth gets them access. They get to go places, they get to do things, they, they receive certain accolades because of their wealth. But when it comes to the door that's labeled kingdom of God, their wealth is not going to be a key that opens that door. All they can do is knock like everybody else and rely 100% on the grace and mercy of God to open the door. I think it's not only hard for the, the wealthy to enter the kingdom of God, which is all of us, by the way. I think it's also true for the super religious to enter the kingdom of God for the exact same reasons it's because the, the super-religious have been conditioned that their religiosity, their practice of their religion, the things they do to live out their religion, that that gets them certain rewards, that gets them certain access. In the church, maybe it gets them a position, pastor, or gets them a, a, a title. They get respect. Their religion goes before them everywhere they go. But when it comes to the door labeled kingdom of God, the religion is not going to be a key that opens that door. All they can do is knock like everybody else, 
and rely 100% on the grace and mercy of God the Father. The kingdom of God belongs to such as these, to children who come empty-handed, trusting wholly and completely on their Father to pay their way. Jesus established a faith that I, I think is the most inclusive, exclusive faith that there is. And, and I call it exclusive because there is a door. Some get in, some get out. There's only one door, or the way Jesus said, there's only one way. I'm the way. Nobody gets to the Father except by me. It is an exclusive faith, but it's the most inclusive exclusive faith that there is because the rich can enter if they come empty-handed. The poor can enter. The healthy can enter. The sick can enter. The Jew can enter. The Gentile in that outside court can now enter. The man can enter. The woman can enter. The elderly, the child, the Pharisee who's done everything right and the penitent thief on the cross can both enter. There's only one door, but anyone may enter as long as they come like a child, depending entirely on the grace and mercy of our Heavenly Father. One of the dangers for those of us who have been walking with Christ for a while, one of the dangers we stumble up against is described for us in the book of Galatians. Paul writes to this church in Galatians, and he says, who has bewitched you? You started in grace. You were born again, not because of anything you did, but of what Christ has done for you. And now you've been deceived into thinking, now I've got to earn my way. Like, I got a free ticket to get in, but now that I'm in, I've got to earn my way. I've got to prove it. And Paul said this to them. He said, if, if I don't set aside the grace of God, because if righteousness could be attained by the law by earning my way, you know what that means? It means Christ died for nothing. If there was a way for us to earn our way, to come up with the price of admission, to have the right credentials, then Jesus would not have had to come and die. But we don't, we don't have what it takes to, to pay the admission price. And so that's why Jesus came to pay it for us. I, uh, I do not believe that when we die and we face judgment, that we're going to be greeted by St. Peter, who's going to give us a quiz. Uh, but if for some reason that should happen, and St. Peter asks you the question, why should I let you in? My encourage to you is don't answer. Don't give him an answer because you don't have an answer. You don't have a single reason as to, St. Peter, this is why you should let me in. Instead, what I think you should say is, talk to Jesus. He'll tell you. Talk to Jesus why you should let me in. Because my father has paid my way. I, I show up like a child. I got nothing. I got nothing, Peter. When the race, I was just saying this, when the race is complete, my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but Christ through me as we pray. Lord, uh, we, we so don't understand grace. 
and mercy. And we're so prone to shifting into this idea that we've got to earn our way because that's the world that we live in. Lord, we thank you that you have paid our price of admission, that we can enter into your presence freely every day, all day. We love you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name.